Good morning. Welcome to Real Time with IPELRA, a podcast dedicated to HR topics in local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. Thanks for joining us. Today is the second part of our three-part series in navigating a harassment-free workforce. We are joined with our guest from Tressler, Darcy Proctor. But before I introduce our guest, I want to let our listeners know that the legislative update IPELRA is offering is coming up um, just less than a few weeks away, uh, December 10th at uh, Clark Baird Smith's headquarters in Rosemont, Illinois. So if you haven't already signed up, uh, go to our website and please do that. You're going to get an update on what's happening with um, legislation regarding our police, what's happening uh, from the governor's office, all sorts of things that you need to know. So check that out. But with us today is the second attorney from Trussler in our three-part series, Darcy Proctor. Darcy is a partner in Trussler's local government practice group. Darcy concentrates her practice in the defense of local governments in all aspects of tort, civil rights liability, and employment litigation. She also defends private sector employers across a variety of employment law issues. Darcy, good morning. How are you this morning? Good morning, ladies. Doing well. Thank you. Well, we are so excited to continue this discussion. Now, last week we discussed the Illinois Workplace Transparency Act. Can you just give us a, a you know, brief reminder of what that, what our, what that, what that act covers? Well, really, there are two, te- two key takeaways, I would say. The first is the Workplace Transparency Act, was a, what it did is it amended the Illinois Human Rights Act in several important ways aimed at expanding the protections for Illinois workers when it comes to workplace discrimination. And the second key takeaway would be that when the uh, effective uh, January of 2021, the act now requires employers to have mandatory annual sexual harassment prevention training. Okay. So um, this week, I think what we're going to delve into is, is actually what constitutes discrimination and unlawful sexual harassment. Can you start us off with kind of a high level description of, of what discrimination is? Sure. In essence, sexual discrimination involves treating an employee or job applicant unfavorably because of that person's sex. And that can include a person's sexual orientation, gender identity, or even pregnancy. Okay. Um, and when we think about discrimination in the workplace, some, we sometimes consider whether um, discrimination is direct or indirect. Can you give some of what's meant by this? Sure. Let's let's first talk about direct discrimination. An example of that could be if someone is not offered a promotion because they are a woman and the job goes to a less qualified man. That's more of an obvious case, and that's why it's called direct discrimination. The not-so-obvious case and the more subtle type of discrimination is known as indirect discrimination. An example of that could be if an employer has a policy that may apply to both sexes in the same way on its face, but puts women at a disadvantage. Say, for example, a policy that changes shift patterns to 5 p.m. instead of 3 p.m., which would negatively impact the female employees with child care responsibilities. So that's an example of indirect discrimination. Is, is that what we would call disparate impact when there is a, a law that comes out or a rule or a man? 
disproportionately impacts a specific class of people? That's exactly disparate impact, where on its face, a policy may be facially neutral, but when it's applied, it, as you said, Megan, adversely impacts a certain class or group of employees. And maybe you... Because I sometimes what I see in the workplace is uh, management makes a decision or or does something and it doesn't like that and says this is discrimination. Dar- Darcy, how do you respond to things like that? Well, not all things, as as we know, not all things are discrimination. And I think mm-hmm. when it comes to harassment, sometimes that word is just used. Um, in the generic sense, I'm being harassed or being treated unfairly. Really, when, when we talk about unlawful harassment in the context of the workplace, and more specifically in the context of sexual harassment, what we're really talking about is harassment because of sex. And harassment based on sex is a form of employment discrimination under the law. Okay. If someone's being harassed, does that mean they're also being discriminated against and their civil rights are violated? It, it can be. And it, it, and, and it really does de- depend on, on the specific situation. But the law prohibits workplace discrimination based on a person's sex or gender. And of course, as I said before, that includes sexual harassment. But the key is, and what the courts look at is, The discrimination or harassment must be based on or because of the sex or gender of a person. Then that would be a civil rights violation under both the state and federal law, which protects employees from workplace discrimination based on sex. So it has to be because of targeted, aimed at a person's sex or gender. Does that make sense? It does. It really does. Yeah. Darcy, when, how do you address the question or the comment in, in training sometimes that you'll get from someone that says, well, then I just won't talk to someone from the opposite sex or, um, you know, it's not okay to make jokes anymore in today's environment. How do you, how do you kind of address those types of comments in the context of explaining the difference between, um, you know, things that are said in jest and when it becomes actually unlawful discrimination or harassment? Well, I think the, the, um, the, the, the key to this is really training and education of your, of your employees so that they have a, a clear understanding of the difference between what's appropriate and what's inappropriate conduct in the workplace. And I think as an employer, as a minimum, you have to have a policy. And now, because of the Workplace Transparency Act, all employers have to do this annual mandated training. Although in my experience, at least with respect to public employers, we have been doing this kind of training and education for years. So I think it's really about education, giving examples, and um, to be sure that the management who oversees the employees are looking for and, and, and watching for situations that could rise to the level of harassment and not just just sexual harassment you know any any type of harassment or uh, discrimination in the in the workplace 
So I know, so, you know, there's like, are, are you asking though more specifically about like when, like when does conduct become sexual harassment or? Yeah, that's part of it. Let's go into that piece of it. So really um, there are, you know, just, th- there are really three types of harassment relating to sex. All right. And that's, the, I know that's the focus of today's session, but to be clear, uh, discrimination and harassment can be targeted or directed at other protected classes. It could be age or race or, or uh, disability or ethnicity. So, but again, I know the focus of today's program is sexual harassment and discrimination. So there's three types of harassment relating to sex. The first is it can, it can occur when someone makes you feel humiliated or fe- offended or degraded on the basis of sex or gender. And an, an example of that could be a manager makes a comment that there's no point in promoting women because they go off to have children. Now, even though the comment may not be directed at a particular female employee, this could be considered sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. And a second example of the type of harassment in the workplace based on sex could occur when someone makes you feel humiliated, offended, or degraded because they treat you in a sexual way. And this, this is known as unwanted conduct of a sexual nature. And it includes verbal and physical treatment like sexual comments or jokes, of course, touching and, you know, even, even more severe cases of uh, sexual contact. And then really the third type of sexual harassment is when someone treats you unfairly because you refuse to put up with or tolerate sexual harassment in the workplace. And an an example of that could be is if an employee is denied a promotion or other job benefit because he or she declined their manager's sexual advances. And just, I think, you know, I I think it's worth pointing out. I, 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 I think most, most folks understand this, but sexual harassment, there can be same sex uh, sexual harassment. Uh, It doesn't necessarily have to be between people of, of different sexes. You know what I can say. That, you know what I think is always important to, to point out is you know we uh, we talked last week with Kathleen like when we think I think the natural go to when you think of sexual harassment is perhaps like a male boss and a female subordinate, but it can be between two subordinates. It can be the harasser can be the subordinate to the supervisor. It can be um, different sex, same sex. Uh, there are no limitations in in um, you know, there, there are no, uh, there are no blackouts and who can be the harasser harass harassers can be people coming into the workplace who aren't even employees. That's exactly right. So the, 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 you know, the, the reach of the sexual harassment laws are, are really, uh, v- very broad. Um, but I think, you know, the, the key, like the, the key analysis in these cases is, and this is what the courts look at is whether or not the behavior is, unwelcome. That's really the starting point in the analysis in the case law. And Christina, you, I know you wanted to jump. To say. Um, no, I, I think you, you covered it so we can keep going. Um, so I think the, the conversation about whether it has to be between a supervisor and an employee um, is not necessarily the case. It can be, um, it can be between any, any 
level of employees with each other. Um, I, I, Darcy, you'd mentioned the, the, it could be same sex. And I just was going to ask if you could um, give an example of, of when that might occur. Well, you know, b- believe it or not, it was not until it was really until the late 1990s. It, it took until then for the U.S. Supreme Court to recognize that same-sex harassment violates these discrimination based on sex or gender laws. And, and the situation there involved um, a, uh, uh, well, it was, it, was two, it was two male employees. Um, and that's, in, in that scenario, it wasn't even a supervisor on employee, it was the male employees' co-workers teasing and taunting and engaging in relentless behavior targeted at the male employee, and a lot of the comments uh, were, were, were targeted and directed at that employee's sexual orientation. So that's an example of same-sex harassment that can violate, violate the law. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to point out something here. Does the, does the, does this have to happen? Does it, does that behavior have to occur multiple times harassment or is one instance enough to label? That's, that's a very good question. And the answer is if, if these, if the behavior is severe enough, a, a one-time incident can be enough to create a hostile work environment and rise to the level of sexual harassment or discrimination. Um, if it's, if it's severe enough, for example, uh, uh, a, a, a case involving sexual assault. I mean, that mm-hmm. I, the courts are not going to require a plaintiff to demonstrate multiple instances of that in order to um, find that they have, have stated a claim, but the situations where, you know, but, but, the, the, the hostile work environment cases, I would say, do require, and this is these are part of the elements that the that, that the courts look at, more severe and pervasive. So one comment is probably not going to be enough, but if there's enough of them, I mean, it could be as little as three. Just to, to give an example, if the comments are so sexually charged that they create a hostile work environment. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. So it really depends on the scenario and the severity of what's involved in, in the, the case. So I'm going to ask this question, and I feel like I might get a lawyer answer here. Depends, but um, I also work environment being referenced quite frequently. Is there a clear definition or what constitutes a hostile work environment? Well, the courts really look at a, at a few things. Um, they they it really has two components. A hostile work environment exists if a reasonable person would find the conduct at issue offensive or intimidating, and the work environment impacts or interferes with the employee the, the employee's ability to do their job. So that's really the start. That those are really the elements and the framework under which the courts analyze these cases. So now, now what about when you're when you're an employee and you come in and they say, well, that's just a, that's just how we are. Um, and you know, everybody's doing it. And now you're the new employee and you come in and you think, gosh, I applied to a utility billing clerk. I didn't know it's going to be like this, but it does seem to be the, the pervasive environment here. What rights do you have 
as a, as a person walking into what seems to be the culture of an organization, like he claims, how, how, what advice would you give to someone in that situation? Well, the, the employee does not have to uh, accept that culture or work, work in a, in a workplace where that, that, that kind of culture exists. And that's exactly what the discrimination law, laws are designed to protect. And they give employees rights to uh, raise that issue with the employer with the idea that the conduct could be corrected. Uh, and if it's not corrected, you know, then then the employee has has rights under the law, be it a, a filing of a charge of discrimination um, or, you know, outside of like whatever internal policies might exist. I mean, if there's if there's a policy that prohibits anti-harassment, then the the worker would have um, the right and in fact, the obligation in most cases to follow that policy, make a complaint and have the internal process in, enforced. And then okay. there's, there's, there's options outside of the internal processes, the charge of discrimination being one and, and ultimately a, a federal civil rights lawsuit, if that's, if that's what it comes to. And Darcy, in that scenario, just for our listeners that might be frontline supervisors, um, what is the what is the obligation or the liability of those supervisors who are allowing that culture to be pervasive and allowing that kind of culture in their work environment? Well, the suit, you know, the 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 supervisors have an obligation to enforce the and uh, well enforce the policy to make sure that an employee doesn't come to work. And, and be subjected to sexual harassment. So um, certainly the, um, you know, if, if, the, if, and I know your, your situation is not when, when the supervisor is the harasser, but if the supervisor turns a blind eye to the harassment, then that, you know, then, then that's setting the organization up to a potential claim for sexual harassment. I mean, they have to, in fairness, in fairness the, the employer does have to be on notice of sure. the hostile work environment and and be given an opportunity to review it, investigate it, and correct it. Okay, but in your scenario, the supervisor can't just turn a blind eye to what's happening. Right. So, what the are you stories that? Sorry, that we've seen play out in the media recently, and in, in hockey, and then years earlier in um, uh, college football. That that's exactly what happened. Is that perhaps a blind eye was turned to it, and that's what garnered national attention in some of these stories. Am I? Right? You're 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 absolutely right, and I think the the best thing an employer can do when they're on notice of a a situation that would cross the line and and be. Uh, sexual harassment or there's an allegation of it they've got an, uh, an opportunity to that they've got an obligation a duty to review it investigate it and take corrective action and I know my colleague Elizabeth Wagman will will talk more about that in the next session about uh, handling and responding to claims or, or uh, allegations of discrimination in the workplace but the, the response is critical if the response, if it's done right, and the response is um, ad addresses it, and um, policies are followed, you know that's a that's a big problem that that you know I have seen over the years is you can you can have the best policy in the world, but if if the folks responsible for enforcing the policy 
don't follow it, then the policy isn't worth the paper that it's written on. So it's real important for all employers to be sure, one, they have a policy, and two, that they follow it. True. True. Christina, I don't want to interrupt you. What were you going to say? I was going to just ask, is it safe to, to say at this point, given your experience, Darcy, with these types of claims that um, the, I was just joking, I didn't mean to offend the person, they're just sensitive that those, those types of defenses and harassment and discrimination cases don't tend to hold up? Well, that's, you know, we have, um, that scenario is not like an uncommon scenario where um, an individual could make a joke and he or she thinks it's funny, but it's offensive to somebody else. And that's really, you know, that, that it, it, again, we're dealing with a reasonable person standard. And just because the person making the offensive statement didn't intend it to be offensive, uh, thinks it's funny, it's, it's the, whether or not it could be the type of conduct that that is of a sexual nature or could create a sexually hostile work environment, it's really judged by the impact and how the comment is received by the listener. So that's really the standard, just because it wasn't intended right. to be offensive or the speaker thought it was a joke and funny, it, it doesn't matter. It's how it's received or perceived by the listener, which kind of relates to another issue. You know, we've, we've had cases where comments are made in the workplace where you just have a group of people standing around, let's just say at the water cooler, and they're joking around and, and, and talking about sexually sexual jokes or uh, content of a sexual nature, even if it's not targeted at an individual. If they overhear it and they're, they're in a workplace where this is going on, that can also form the basis of a sexual harassment claim. So in other words, the offensive conduct doesn't necessarily have to be directed or targeted at someone in order for it to be potentially a sexual harassment type of claim or scenario. Now, um, and it doesn't even... go ahead. I was going to ask, does it need to specifically even be targeted at someone in the organization. Um, and what I mean by that is if in that scenario, you're in the, the, you know, around the water cooler and there's a television or something in the background with a news story and someone makes an off color comment about what's happening, uh, you know, in the news or on, on a national level, can that, um, can that in and of itself be uh, potentially a harassment if, if someone is truly offended by that type of comment or that um, commentary? You know, it, it can be, but, you know, in, in that kind of scenario, I would think you would need something beyond like an isolated commentary about some public news event, you know, but that com combined with other other evidence that could establish a sexually hostile work environment, that that, that could very well be enough under mm -hmm. the law. I want to be mindful of our time today and cover some specifically addressed last week. And the one that comes to mind is dating in the workplace. I think um, it's not unreasonable to expect that uh, people may find love interests at work. I, I often ask um, parents and grandparents how they met and they have stories like that. So um, if two employees are in a consensual romantic relationship, does that mean that no harassment can take place? Well, you're... 
typical lawyer answer it depends but but let's let's talk about it if if the relationship here's the key if the relationship involves a supervisor and a subordinate then you potentially have a problem so and because there's a disparity in power or authority and especially if the supervisor had you know works in the same department and has the ability to influence the subordinates work life on promotions and, and that kind of thing. So that's why many employers do have dating policies in place, which prohibit supervisors from dating subordinates or even married couples. You say maybe they were dating and then they uh, get married. There's policies that, that we have drafted for our employer clients where it prohibits supervisors from dating subordinates or married couples from even working in the same department. So you avoid that problem completely. And then everybody's on notice that that's the policy. Okay. Um, So then employees have a duty and an obligation to disclose if they are dating and then perhaps um, request a transfer or, uh, you know, do something about that. Correct. That's exactly right. I mean, these these policies are common. And, you know, as I indicated, you know, we've, we've drafted many such policies for employer comments. But you know, mm-hmm. over, over overall, the dating policies help prevent workplace discrimination and the potential for future problems. So if there's a way to accommodate it so that the employer is protected against potential claims of sex discrimination based on that relationship, there's an can be an opportunity to do that, you know, if if that's what works. But like mm-hmm. in in the example of, um, let's say it's a it's a supervisor subordinate relationship, and the subordinate will will be transferred to a different department if the subordinate doesn't want to work in a different department, or there's not another position available. You know, they're they're on they're on notice that you know that that's the policy. So, you know, they may, you know, he or she may find themselves out of a job. And, and well, oftentimes, oh, sorry, Christina. Um, oftentimes in these, in, in love, relationships sour. In the age of digital communication, uh, lots of romantic relationships um, involve texting and, and picture sharing. What liabilities does that include for the employer? And um, is this an increasing problem to look out for? Well, yes. It, it, virtual, or it's also known as online harassment. Virtual or online harassment, it's, it's, um, it's an unfortunate reality impacting employers today. And if you think about it, cyberspace is, is really another place where a coworker or a supervisor can engage in inappropriate conduct against another. But the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what, what's, a, what's an employer to do? Well, the anti-discrimination policies, internal complaint procedures, prevention training are all good tools that empo- an employer can use to help combat workplace harassment. But it's it's something that employers today need need to be mindful of and have a plan ready to deal with. 
And I, I think sometimes to the employers uh, get caught in the crosshairs of relationships that have soured. Uh, one, one partner may feel um, for whatever reason, angry or betrayed and then shares private messages or images and now implicates the employer in that. Is there anything that we can do to avoid that? Because that can be a, you know, a, a sticky situation to have to deal with and uncomfortable for a lot of people. Well, mo- most employers have internet use policies, and if those are being used to engage in unlawful or harassing con- conduct, those can be dealt with under the internet use policies. Um, but you know, the more I think challenging scenario is if the harassment occurs outside of work. And yeah, a, 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 we get a lot of questions from our employer clients on. Just, just, just that scenario. If, if, if the harassment occurs outside of work, and does not involve the use of the employer's equipment, does it still violate the law? And um, as, as you might imagine, this area of law is evolving with social media. But I will tell you, one trend is clear: courts expect employers to intervene immediately when they learn of online harassment involving their employees. Bottom line, online harassment is just as unlawful as the kind that happens in the physical workplace. Yeah, good to know. Um, I'm sorry, Christina, I feel like I've stepped on your toes a number of times today. Was there something no, else that you wanted okay. to add? I was just going to say with with uh, everyone living more and more of their life on social media and social media platforms, I, I would just add that it's always a good idea for supervisors, for employees across the board to be mindful about the relationships and the interactions that you carry forward onto social media platforms. And it may not always be the best idea to be uh, connected and friends and all of that on social media with your staff, with coworkers, um, because there is a, a sometimes a need to keep your, your personal and professional life private. And I think sometimes, again, in this world we live in of everyone oversharing on social media, there, there can sometimes be issues with that that um, make the workplace more challenging. And that, again, that's not to say that people, supervisors especially, should be turning a blind eye to anything, but um, the tendency on social media to sort of um, be a little bit different or more open in your interactions than you would be in the workplace. Sometimes people have a hard time transcending that the workplace doesn't specifically always necessarily mean the physical structure or confines of the building that you work in. It can, it can transcend that. So uh, just a little bit of a disclaimer there. I would encourage people to be very careful about what they're, how they're interacting with each other, with their coworkers and their supervisors on social media. And you know what else, Christina? I think you just made a good plug for uh, IPELRA's supervisor training that's taking yes. place in February. I know a uh, panel that, that provides that training is, and this is something that always comes up, you know, this, this, this training is moving from supervisor or even longtime supervisors who just need to refresh. But yeah, you don't stop being a supervisor uh, at work when you're online and, and all these things. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, Folks, that's about all the time we have for today. I want to thank Darcy uh, from Tressler for joining us. Darcy, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you specifically on this topic or any more information, how can you be reached? Well, uh, they can um, contact uh, me through uh, via email, which my email is dproctor, P-R-O-C-T-O-R at Tressler, L-L-P. Dot com, um, or they can call me direct at 
307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-800-3078-307-